Greetings, good people. Uh, welcome to Rendezvous with uh, yourself via me. I'm the messenger between you and yourself, potentially. Um, so today, I want to talk about Mother Nature. Uh, so, and I think, you know, it's a beautiful image, a beautiful, she's a beautiful person. Uh, Mama Nature, Mama Matrix Most Mysterious, as I believe James Joyce called her. Um, but the planet that we live on, planet Earth, and uh, I think the phrase Mother Nature is a very beautiful phrase. Um, and something that, anytime I think of it, it just gets me in a good zone, a good uh, frame of mind. And I, it seems to be the same with other people, you know, certainly not everyone, I well, I suppose not everyone. Some people are yeah, maybe a bit too rough to really care. Like, whatever, that sounds stupid, you know. Um, but I think most people, if you say mother nature, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. I forgot about that big mother we have. Um, and so, but I think there's a lot of interesting things to be said about nature, the balance between us humans and nature, and are we nature? To what extent are we nature? Um what does nature need from us at this time and what, what can we, you know, how can we live, uh, yeah, wisely with nature? Um, and yeah, there's a, just a lot of interesting things, uh, to talk about. So, uh, let's, let's do it. So first, um, imagine, close your eyes if you like, imagine, uh, an emptiness. It's just nothing, just black everywhere, right? Nothing. Then you pop in some lights all around, you know, these little pinpricks of pure light uh, stars, right? And then maybe a few of them are distant galaxies. And then in the middle, uh, you, ne next to one of these lights, uh, the sun, our sun, there's a, you pop a little spheroid, a bowl of molten rock, uh, surrounded by solid rock, surrounded by water, water, and some of the rock is uh, rising above the water, and there is, wherever it is, it's covered in green, covered in plant life, um, or most of it, and definitely before human beings started practicing intensive agriculture, there were I mean, the planet has gone in cycles, but um, there traditionally were, it was very, very green. And it still is very green to some extent. So we have this image. So if, even if it's a cartoon image, just the image of the earth, blue and green circle, floating in space. Isn't it beautiful? And that's where we are. That's our home. Could you think of a better home? It's incredible, like a little garden stone, right? A little spherical garden spinning around in space. And that's, I chose that for the logo for this podcast just because I'd already painted that thing. And I said, ah, oh, seemed, ah, oh, that would, that works. But um, I, I think it's a good way to zoom out and get perspective, right? You go, oh, yeah, we're all on, we're all earthlings. We're all in this together, you know? Um, like that, oh, I'd highly encourage you to, if you haven't already, do it again, if you have. Um, 
watch this video on YouTube of Carl's, Carl Sagan, The Pale Blue Dot. And he's reading, I think he's reading part of an essay of his, or maybe it's just the ending or something to one of his episodes of Cosmos, which is a great show. But it's just a picture of the Earth, and I think it zooms out. Um, or maybe it's just showing the blue dot of Earth from a distance the whole time. But either way, just talk, talking about the perspective of how, and he does it very beautifully, of how you know every war, every love affair, every um, great innovation, every reformer, every spiritual sage, or you know um, every funny conversation, everything that's ever happened, everyone you ever know, lived out their life on this speck of dust suspended in a sunbeam or whatever, something like this. But um, so that's where we are, our home in the stars. Um, what's that poem? Uh, Through window skies crystal clear should a far lonesome traveller peer. Through window skies crystal clear, should a far lonesome traveller appear, ever young nature will fill their eyes in sweet swaying light, dancing alone. No warmer welcome, no kinder prize, our home in the stars, our garden stone. Stardust swells up deep forgotten wells. Into her waltzing whim, her flourishing flirt. What is it? Um, we are her dance, something, something. We are her dance um, amongst the stars. Um, I forget the last verse. Um, anyway, or stanza, but uh, could it come to me? Eh, apparently not. Maybe later. <laughs> well, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that brief meditation of 10 seconds silence. Um, you're very welcome. No, no need to thank me. It's okay. It's okay. Oh, you didn't want the silence. Oh, I'm so sorry. But uh, hopefully you're in the minority, whoever sent that to me telepathically backwards through time, which may be an illusion anyway. Um, too many tangents? Oh, I wouldn't go that far. Although that does remind me of a story. Um, so, Mother Nature. Um, the beauty and sacredness of this image, right? So, the image of the Earth. Um, I think... That's something that could unite so many people. And think back to when you're a child and you're like looking at pictures, you were looking at pictures of this. Uh, is it just me or are you, let me know in the comments if you want. Um, didn't, like that always struck me as like, oh, it filled me with awe and beauty and a sense of belonging and gratitude that this is this beautiful place that we live in. And the idea of mother nature as like, you, everyone loves their mother, right? Like, even, you know, real tough guys. Hey, don't you talk about my mother. You know, what is that? There's some deep gratitude for the 
unconditional love and innocence and uh, kind of humble giving of a mother um, where we all come from, you know. We all come from a mother's body. And, you know, maybe some people, you know, everyone's got a different situation. Maybe some mothers, there were problems and the mother wasn't there for the children. Or some people grew up without mothers, you know, unfortunately. Um, but we all come from a mother, um, the father. Um, but, and this, uh, this, this connection to, to nature, to earth, it's through our mothers. Um, more than the father, you know, um, the, you know, look at, if you look at children, usually the mother, is the more primordial relationship, right? And for evolutionary reasons, men were usually going around trying to solve problems of one form or another, um, sometimes creating problems, but I think as I understand it, most of history is, it's not men dominating women. It's like, um, there are definitely parts of that 100%, um, but uh, most of it is men and women striving nobly together to try to, you know, eke out an existence um, amid the ruthlessness of Mother Nature, which is, she's also ruthless. She's crocodiles eating monkeys and all this kind of stuff. That's also nature, you know. But um, Nature is Metal is a great page. It's on Instagram if you use that um, app. But anyway, um, so the mother... Uh, is this primordial relationship we have. Um, and it's the mother who was um, spending more time with the children, um, hardwired to, it seems, um, in general women are higher in um, agreeableness um, and uh, also neuroticism, which not meaning in the normal sense of being neurotic, like a negative thing, but neuroticism meaning um, sensitivity to negative emotion. Emotions are messengers, right? If you do something bad, you get an emotion going, hey, maybe you shouldn't do that. Do something good, you get an emotion going, you should keep doing that. That's a good idea. We have these messengers, these emotions, right? Um, and in general, uh, women uh, have high levels of neuroticism. So a greater sensitivity to negative emotion and also more um, agreeableness. So the more, um, in general, uh, more, I guess, willing and able to connect with people socially, um, to uh, seek harmony. And if you think about it like, you know, infants crying, you know, like that's a respect to parents, you know, that's, you know, you see a, a, a baby crying for like sometimes, you know, it seems like nothing's going to stop the baby, that the baby's just unhappy for some reason. Like, whoa, I mean, even just being near a crying baby for half an hour is kind of intense. Imagine that's, you know, you're a parent constantly, you know, so that's a, a great responsibility. And, um to some extent, it's you know it's a um, a burden. Although, and I think a lot of people focus on that these days. But I think overall, it's it's more of a gift than a burden. Of course, children, in my opinion. But um, not that I have children. But you know, um, but nonetheless, there is you know a, a great responsibility there and um, a weight from your you have these beings you're responsible for. So there are problems, there are difficulties that come with this, um, and. Mothers seem women in general seem through evolution seem to have more than men um, evolved toward being uh, more uh, sensitive to the needs of children and more um, willing to soothe and care for and take care of, uh, whereas men seem to be more in general 
about like you know protecting the space and um, creating a space, a safe space where you know love can exist and good things can grow, um, and solving problems, right? Finding food, creating shelter, da da da. And men are also physically stronger, so that's usually kind of goes hand in hand. It's quite useful to have physical strength, um, and of course, you know there are there would be um, people you know female hunters and male caregivers, etc. But overall, it seems to be a pattern. And from this archetype of the feminine, right, the mother, this is very similar to what Earth does for us. Um, all our food comes from the Earth. Whether it's um, plants, obviously they grow from the Earth. Fungi, they're growing from the Earth, right? The, whether it's um, in a, a farm that's using um, soil or, um, or even the air, which is part of the ecosystem of the Earth, um, or like whether directly they're directly in the, the ground or they're in containers, whatever, um, plants and fungi are growing from the earth. Um, animals are eating the what grows from the earth, and then we eat them, or most people eat animals. Um, and so we are we are through them we are we are eating right again what what comes from the earth. If there were no plants, um, there's no animals to eat, right? So, and uh, of course, through most of history, we were also on the menu, <laughs> so and still are. You know, people get eaten, you know, still every year, all the time, right? Um, not as. I wonder if uh, there's more people than ever before. Um, so I, w but there are fewer contacts, points of contact between humans and animals, it seems. But I wonder if. But just as due to the scale of population, if more people are eaten these days than were in the past, probably not. Probably in the past, animals were eating us much more, more frequently. Um, anyway, so uh, food we get from Mother Nature. This is one gift. Um, uh, medicines, herbs, teas we drink. Um, even a lot of the pharmaceutical medicines, they come from the bark of some tree. and Is it aspirin or something comes from some bark of some tree? Or is that um, uh, some other uh, more heavy-duty stuff we use, um, like a for um, an anesthetic or something? Anyway, I'm not sure. But so many medicines come from um, nature, and that's one thing about the Amazon. They're saying like, if you could just change the consciousness of people, say, look, even on selfish grounds, please stop cutting down the Amazon, and you can you can use it for cows and soybeans to feed cows um, for like a few years and then the soil is ruined it's very thin rainforest soil it's not very deep it's a it, you know it works great in the climate but if you it's actually not very deep uh, it's like a lot of it's above ground I believe in like rotting leaves and stuff um, so the actual thickness of the soil isn't very you know deep so it's not very suitable for farming but they're doing that in Brazil because people are poor so they're trying to make their way fair enough um, we did that all over the world, other people, you know, um, at different stages when other uh, societies had more poverty and people looking to decrease their suffering. But anyway, um, instead of clearing all that for farms, they could be investigating it more for all these all these species were driving extinct. Uh, how many of them could have medicinal properties or benefits to, you know, human beings? Um, so that's... and. And also just food through, you know, you could have, keep the forest, plant plant a few, a lot of the trees are already you, you, uh, food trees. Um, uh, uh, 
trees which bear food for that we can eat. So, but anyway, um, nature is full of these gifts for us, right? Um, so food, medicine, fuel, clothing, basically everything comes from nature. Um, even plastics, we're getting this from oil, which is coming from nature, the biosphere. Um, and uh, I believe, you know, combining with some other materials, but this is all coming from the ecosystems of um, this living planet. So, you know, uh, we kind of exploit the planet, but it's, um, I think this is part of why when you think of the image of the green and blue earth, it's so kind of touching because somewhere deep down we realize that this is this planet is just beautiful, but also we have so much to be grateful for. It gives us so much. Um, even this microphone I'm talking into is made of metal and plastic. The plastic's coming from the oil in the ground. The metal's coming from the, the ores in the in the rock. And it's being processed, you know, and there's probably copper in there and all kinds of metals. Um, uh, so, yes. So lots to be grateful for. And, and I think this is, you know, when we talk about climate change and, you know, extinction of species and pollution and deforestation and the um the collapse of fishing stocks the ocean you know oh the ocean's going to be empty of fish in 20 years or whatever these crazy predictions like good lord uh and yet we still keep pulling up all these fish and oh we've got dolphins and you know 50 other species of fish which we're not able to sell but yeah doesn't matter they'll, they'll die at least we got Half the fish in the net are what we want. Excellent, we can make a profit. Um, and so, and if someone's going to try to change the system, oh, maybe we could slip a little envelope. Some of those profits could be shared around, keep the system going, keep our keep bread on the table, you know. So it takes a big shift of consciousness, I think, to be able to address some of these things. So that's what we're trying to do here, right? I appreciate your company. Uh, good hustle there. Let's let's get deeper into the nature of nature. So, um, so this leads to uh, m misanthropy, right? Misanthropy, misanthropy. Um, the dislike, or hatred, or rejection, or condemnation of humanity, human beings, by human beings. <laughs> so it's a type of self-hatred and self-rejection. And it's quite common. You hear it a lot. Like I was at the pub the other day. Some guy were jamming. Um, shout out to Eugene. Uh, and, we're, you know, we're playing music and it was great. Um, but, uh, you know, at some point, several Guinnesses in. He's saying, ah, oh, I think we're a horrible species, though. Terrible. And uh, it's so interesting. We're playing all this beautiful music. I can feel his heart's soaring with this beautiful transcendental emotion. And then he's telling me, you know, oh, we're a, you know, we're a corrupt, terrible species. It would be better if we were wiped out. And, uh, and he's not alone in thinking that. But I think the thing is that comes from a mi misperception. I think in his case, I would say it's well-meaning, but from my point of view, uh, uh, lacking development or it's, not, it's only half of the way to the truth. It's better better than just saying, oh, we're going to exploit the planet. Yeah, who cares? It's probably better than that to say, look, you know, you know we shouldn't be doing this. We're, we're, 
we're terrible, that kind of shows some progress toward awareness of the problem that needs to be fixed. And there is a problem um, with, you know, what we're doing to the planet as humans. So, so that's good and to be applauded to some extent. Anyone who's aware and kind of pointing the finger at humans and saying, look, look what we're doing. But to take it to the point of, oh, humans are terrible, it'd be better if we weren't here, I'd say that is, okay, it's underbaked, right? It's like that's not the full story. Keep thinking about it. Keep reading, keep listening to people, keep talking, keep questioning, and you will start to see, actually, it's a much more beautiful picture. And practically, that you know, self-rejection, that's not going to work. The human nature, again, as I keep saying in these, this podcast, we are descended from the human beings, the survivors of the survivors of the survivors. And things that aren't sustainable long-term, those tribes got weeded out by the ruthlessness of the, the demands of the changing um, environment. And so self-hatred, you know, that's not sustainable. So most humans aren't going to go along with that. So if you think, yeah, let's, um, let's try and save the planet by telling humans how much they suck, you th- do you think that's going to work? Me neither. So doesn't it get to a point where it's this self-righteous, it can be self-righteous, uh, where it's kind of a virtue signaling thing, and that's where it's actually intense, but you're actually part of the problem, and you are what you're condemning, and you don't realize it. I think in other cases it's just well-meaning, like say old mate Eugene, I would say, it's just he's well well meaning, well intentioned, but I think hasn't quite stumbled upon the, the the good news that actually it's it's a more nuanced picture. We don't need to reject ourselves, and I'll get to why specifically in a moment. But um, but in other cases, I think people it's like oh, I can I can uh, relish in this destructive emotion and judging things and just you know kind of laziness of not you know trying to fix it or just oh it's all screwed you know we can't do anything um and uh feeling superior oh look at these people who do these things yeah um you know it's like oh okay so you're the one who knows you're the one who is aware there's a subtle unconscious elevation of one's own ego boosting your ego and so it's very ironic but people sometimes i believe they think they're like oh human beings are just terrible and they think they're they're improving their moral standing in the universe and in others eyes but when i hear that i go yeah, you are you are lowering yourself you are it's just nonsensical i mean you you are part of the problem um uh, because you're saying we need to protect uh you know oh it's terrible the things we do to nature human beings are, and you're at war with human beings but you're missing the point that we are nature and so actually you too through that very perspective are at war with nature which is what you're condemning um and and i think yeah there are people who they got on their high horse and they're in they're pretending it's about earth but it's actually about me 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 so it's a sad thing but um i guess we've all been there to some extent or most of us um I know myself, like I, I've been guilty of things like this countless times in my life, so I'm not, not putting myself above that, you know. Um, it's, it's a weed to be weeded in the beautiful garden of insights of what will bear fruit for practically advancing a beautiful future, right? 
Um, so yes, uh, ecological collapse. Um, you know, and I think it's unlikely that nature would completely collapse unless it got obliterated, like Mars or something, by um, you know magnetic sh pole shift or something, or some comet just totally obliterating everything. But um, but definitely like resetting the clock to oh, just very you know the the, the planet's covered with shrubberies. Um, you know, or like, it's kind of like a desert climate. There's, yeah, there's life, but nowhere near what we have with these Swiss valleys overflowing with verdant greenery and rivers uh, idling their way along and animals and birds, you know, it's, it's beautiful, right? Like, uh, so potentially we could lose um, this uh, beauty and... You know, you take a, a band or an orchestra who make great music and then they get robbed and they have no more instruments so they start tapping their legs and singing. Yeah, cool, it's still music, but, you know, something's been lost, right? Um, you could say, well, what does it matter? It's all still life, it's all the same. Who cares, really? It's just our subjective human, we want it. But I think, no, just that's, that's very airy, very abstract thinking. It's like, practically, almost everyone you ask will say, oh, yeah, you know, verdant nature with lots of ecological diversity and, you know, the bounties of life overflowing everywhere, that's better. That's good. It's worth. It's more worthy than the other, you know. But anyway, ecological collapse, it does seem we're definitely um, putting a lot of pressures on the planet. Um, so there's a self-hatred that, that comes in through that. But I think the important point is, um, look, why, are we, why should we be separate from nature? In a certain way, yeah, it's it's valid to say we are separate and we're different, because um, look, we we think we we abstract into past and present and future, whereas you go up to a you know uh, a very articulate chipmunk, you say, "Excuse me, sir," and he, um, "What what time is it?" And he just says, uh, what, "What do you mean? What on earth do you mean? Uh, what on Mother Earth do you mean? Uh, it's now." It's always now. What other time could it be? Right? But we humans have this ability to abstract and th um, think think about things that aren't here at the moment, think about things that we've never even seen, but we could logically infer based upon <coughs> um, prior experience, etc. Using the, the logical mind, using language to cut up the unity, the oneness of reality into many little pieces and then analyze the relationships thereof. And so um, we definitely are different to, I mean, it's possible dolphin, dolphins or something are doing a similar thing, but they just don't have opposable digits. So they're not like building stuff. And maybe they've got, maybe they're even smarter than us. Maybe they're more aware whales, you know, and huge brains, they're mammals too, right? Cetaceans. And so um, they might have a, a much more advanced consciousness than we realize because we just can't connect with them. Um, and, uh, but, or maybe not, maybe it's, you know, it's advanced, but it's not as advanced as us um, because just their environment, there wasn't a feedback loop with being able to transform the environment as much. Um, perhaps, you know, consciousness wasn't able to flow into that form as much as with humans. Who knows? Um, but we're definitely, in a way, yeah, different to other animals. But look, by the conventional view, right, like we... We've come from the, the same ancestors as monkeys and, you know, apes and whatever. We're a type of ape, I believe, right? Is that 
that it. Um, and, you know, so why, okay, so at a certain point we were just an animal. Our ancestors were animals. So then when did it, our ancestor, who was the first ancestor who wasn't an animal, you know? Because we go back to like fish or whatever, you know? Like, um, so, and then, okay, what, what, why do we draw the line there? Because there's other differences between other animals. All the people in the animal category, okay, look at like a lion versus, uh, I don't know, a, a turtle or something, or a versus a pigeon. There's a huge difference there. Why are we putting them in the same basket, you know? Or beavers and um, beavers making dams, you know, um, in, you know, damming up the river with cutting down wood and making dams, um, which allows them to be able to, what, what do they do that for? To catch fish? Not sure. Um, and uh, bees making honey, creating these hexagonal hives of you know incredible complexity, and ants, you know, um, going and getting leaves and bringing it back to the hive and building all these underground tunnels. It's mad, you know. Um, and so all these things, they're building stuff. So that's very pretty advanced. That's pretty cool. But so they're not. I'm you know we make microphones, but in a way. This is just as um, natural as a beehive or a, a beaver's dam. <clears throat> so we are, I would say, we are we're animals. We are uh, we are a special animal uh, for sure. But it makes more sense in general to say, yeah, we are a type of animal, um, but we are a more conscious animal than others. Um, but we're totally interwoven with the the animal and plant kingdoms and fungus kingdoms so um side note fungus i believe fungi they they're not plants they are a third thing uh they <coughs> excuse me they uh breathe oxygen and exhale carbon dioxide uh i believe pretty sure so whereas plants do the opposite right that's our great deal the plants breathe in co2 breathe out oxygen we breathe in oxygen breathe out co2 what a deal. Oh my God. Must be a coincidence, right? Um, and so, yeah. Um, so I think when you can realize we are part of nature, then you realize this is just nature has evolved to a certain level where nature is doing this to herself. Um, we are one branch on the tree of life of, of let's say, Mother Earth. Um, and it is causing a lot of problems for the, the tree in general because we're through us, Mother Nature is at a certain level and in us, at a certain level of consciousness. We are at a certain level of consciousness, awareness, understanding, where we are able to do amazing things. But we're, we're at a level where we're really far along, but we're not far along enough to realize how much, how much peril we're in with um, losing connection to harmony and to the Mother. And we're... Our play has been very good and exploratory and we're learning a lot and growing up, but maybe we're flirting with uh, the boundary of what's wise and mum is trying to call us back, um, but maybe we're not really paying enough attention and we're everything's going great so far. Just over there, I wonder what's in the elephant graveyard. You know, sounds like fun. Um, so, and I think... Ultimately, hopefully, if we can, we can all use suffering, you know, you, oh, I feel pain in my body. Why do you feel pain? Well, it's a, uh, a signal telling you, hey, careful, there's damage there. 
Um, I believe, again, I, I, this might be wrong, but I think um, leprosy doesn't actually, I believe it's like a pain disorder. Uh, well, this is what I heard, uh, that it's um, actually all the, the, it's not like it spreads like some sort of um, contagion, but that uh, people who have the, uh, the problem that, that they, they can't sense pain properly and so their body is being damaged because they're not taking, they don't get that feedback of, oop, don't do that with your body. That might be wrong. It sounds a bit crazy. But anyway, point being, um, pain is a sig signal which helps us adapt our conduct, just similar to emotions, right? Um, and Or you eat certain food. Oh, that didn't feel good. Why are you getting that signal? Couldn't, you, couldn't your brain go, oh, that's not nice. That's an uncomfortable feeling. Let's not do that to Jamie. Let's just let him feel nice. Then he keeps eating some poison berries or whatever, you know, so not a good idea. So in a similar way, I think Mother Nature and humanity, where the suffering is teaching us, we go, it's, we're just doing things and obliviously causing problems. And then we start to notice, ooh, all the broken stuff piling up around us and within us and uh, damaged stuff and all the discomfort and suffering. And it forces us to go eventually, all right, too much. Can't do no more. I can't deal with this anymore. Um, let's solve the problem. And you look at the effects and you start to trace it back. We follow the breadcrumbs and see where it leads us. <clears throat> and it leads us back to exactly cause and effect, cause and effect through the use of logic. Um, uh, shout out to the mind. Woo! Thank you, mind. Uh, you're a hell of a tyrant sometimes, but you're, you do amazing work as well. Much love and respect there to the mind. Um, now, so cause and effect, using logic, we can retrace it to, ah, you know, the uh, soils are eroding because of our farming practices. Interesting. And then that our food has like 30% or 10% of the vitamins that it would have had 100 years ago. Like you get an orange to get the same amount of vitamin C and other stuff from an orange these days. It's like you would need, you need something like uh, eight oranges to have what you would have gotten from one orange 100 years ago because the soils were much richer before intensive industrial agriculture with all the chemical pesticides, herbicides, etc. And, um, you know, uh, uh, genetic engineering. So, you know, for example, with wheat, like making it, we get more of the wheat, but the trade-off is each bit of wheat is less healthy. Um, so people say they go to Italy and they say, oh, it's a di feels different, the pasta. It's like they're using a different, more ancestral version of wheat, as I understand it. Um, anyway, and, uh, and, you know, like tilling the earth apparently is actually terrible and unnecessary. It's a great documentary I just watched called um, Kiss the Ground. Really beautiful. On Vimeo, watch it for $1, you know. Um, or it's on Netflix as well, I think. Um, but amazing documentary. And we're going to talk about that a bit later, about some of the solutions to our problems. But um, uh, But the point being, we cause these problems and then eventually the suffering causes us to go deeper and find just as it does on a personal level you have to go find out okay what am i doing in my life that's causing these this these negative feelings and thoughts um then we, we can likewise with the earth kind of start to find the order that is in alignment with sustainability and wisdom through the problems trial and error that's how we learn which is another reason why decentralization. I was talking about like free speech in a previous podcast. Decentralization is very important because it allows us to learn through trial and error, which is basically how we, we learn in general. 
um, you want to learn how to do martial arts, there's going to be a lot of wrong movements. And then you start to notice your teacher says, no, not that, this. Eso, <laughs> this, do this. Um, and so, or just on your own, watching people, oh, that looks different to what I do. Or you do it over and over again and you just experiment and, oh, this feels good. Some things we can use logic to understand, but a lot of it is through trial and error and we just don't know enough. And that's why I think the United States of America system is very cool. The 50 states, they can have different laws and experiment. Oh, we legalized cannabis and, you know, a bunch of problems got uh, less intense. They got better for us and we got almost no additional problems. Wow. Oh, that actually makes sense. Same as alcohol when we, you know, legalize that. Interesting. And so Colorado and, you know, all these, now there's a whole wave copying them because they went, oh, actually, yeah, we have no money. Society's falling apart. Not enough hospitals, not, you know, infrastructure. Um, there's this opiate crisis. People addicted to really, you know, heavier drugs. And then, oh, and then like, oh, this plant has a, a potential. It's not what we thought. Oh, it doesn't cause schizophrenia in everyone it's only maybe if you already have a tendency for that then it could bring it out earlier but for the normal people that's not true at all you know the marijuana use has skyrocketed over the last hundred years and um rates of schizophrenia are basically stable oh seems like there's no correlation whatever through trial and error we can learn things and improve society so um globally with mother nature i think it's a similar thing we have this opportunity and so, of course, we just need to get our act together and not let it get too far where things spiral out of control. Um, but when people are hating on humanity, um, I think it's like, it just seems like, um, yeah, a self-hatred. And many people, you know, unfortunately, we, we ha um, sometimes can struggle to accept ourselves and we reject ourselves. And that seems like that's kind of built in to almost every culture to some extent. There's this... Um, and maybe it had some use back in the day, this inability to be fully content. Maybe it drove us forward. But it seems like in the modern age, um, for whatever reason, it's kind of a bit out of control. And um, you know, there's a wave of depression and anxiety around the world, etc. And um, often, you know, we project onto other people, not happy with yourself, or, you, you know, you're doing things yourself that aren't maybe the best, and then you can project it onto other people when they criticize you for your things. So you see their faults, but not your own, and then that causes conflict. Um, but but I think it's a beautiful thing to go, well, actually, look, there's just Mother Nature here, and we're part of her. And in a way, this is just um, a sort of dream she's having through us, and she's kind of trying to wake up, um, you know, before the house burns down. Um, and, uh, oh, strange metaphors, but whatever, you get the idea. Um, you can't make a house without breaking a few eggs, right? Um so, yeah, um, and on that point, I mean, I, I think, uh, I, I don't know, but a lot of the wisest people who look very, very calm, they're clearly very calm, and, you know, spiritual teachers who, you know, some people say they're a spiritual teacher, and, you know, I, I find, oh, I don't resonate with a lot with it. Seems like maybe this is just a business for you, or you know, a bit of ego, like you want to, this is an image you're trying to strive for. But there are real people who, you know, they might not even call themselves a spiritual teacher, but that's what they basically are. They're pointing beyond suffering and telling us how to get out of suffering, how to awaken to a clearer perspective 
more closely aligned aligned with the reality, the one reality of how things are. And, you know, people say, oh, truth relative. You have your truth, I have my truth. Well, no. Like our our perceptions of the truth are relative, but there is only one universe, right? Unless you believe everything's an illusion, if there is reality, then there is one reality, right? It's here it is. As far as, and for practical purposes, who knows? Maybe like what do ants know about humans? What do we know about the universe at large? Maybe everything's real simultaneously. But even if that's the case, then that's still overall one, you know, if, no, this reality A and reality B. Okay, together, let's call that reality C. And that's the ultimate one. Oh, but no, there's reality C, there's also reality D. Okay, cool. Reality E is going to be the, the ultimate one now. So you see what I mean? I think any way you think about it, um, it's there's, there is one way that things are, and that's reality, and so there's truth, and so we can have different perspectives on the truth, but um, but yes, there is, there is a truth. Um, and so from my point of view, I believe Mother Nature is, the Earth is conscious, it's, and it makes sense from what I understand of the way the world works certain experiences I've had um, of, you know, consciousness expansion and realizing, oh my God, I'm one with everything. And I'm like this character that I'm playing and it's beautiful, but like, I'm like this, the immortal spirit of life itself flowing through, you know, this form. And oh my God, um, I'm one branch on the infinite tree of life. Um, and feeling that connectedness to nature and other beings and other people and feeling we are, we are ourselves living other lives. Um, you are me living another life. I'm you living another life. And that um, there are many candles, but there is only one phenomenon, a uh, natural phenomenon called fire. And so similarly, there is life, there is consciousness, there is being, and it's one, right? And so um, part of these, through these kind of experiences and like reading, etc., my point of view is that um, the whole universe is alive and conscious and um, this, it's subdivisions, much like cells within the body. My cells are going about their business. Thank you, cells. Shout out to my cells. Thank you. Good work. Keep it up. Um, they, uh, they're doing their thing, and they don't really know that I'm maybe, I assume, talking on this podcast, but uh, it all kind of works out in a similar way. I, it, you know, Perhaps is it not possible that Mother Nature, the Earth, is conscious and having some sort of experience which we can't understand as her cells, but then we have our experiences here and um, we're going about our business and we are helping, we are an inextricable part of this ecosystem globally of nature, never more so um, than today, you know, and um, we're such a powerful influence on the, 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 um, you know, <laughs> the, the goings on of all the exchanges of energy and momentum and matter and um, spirit and um, ideas and um, systems flowing and cascading and overlapping and um, subsuming each other and birthing new things and reincarnating and changing and coming together, pulling apart. Um, we have a big role in this. And so perhaps, you know, and you have, yeah, so perhaps we are, we have our consciousness, but then. There is a consciousness to the planet, planetary ecosystem also. Um, there, it seems like there is, is a form that I'm in. This is a body, right? Um, and I am able, it's through this, perhaps there's just such a collection of energy 
that it generates somehow a field of consciousness, which is what I am, a localized field of consciousness, um, a witness to what's happening here. And even if I close my eyes, um, so the planet doesn't have eyes, how could it be conscious? Well, I am aware that I'm here. Um, there's a, there's a, a first-person witness, like you know, the, the screen, the audience to the movie. It's an audience of one, and here I am. Um, you know, why, could, why couldn't it be the same with the earth uh, and to go the other way with the cells in our body? And, perhaps, and this is something that physicists and philosophers uh, with um, panpsychism and I think um, biologists, uh, Bruce Lipton, the biology of, of belief, um, um, what's that physicist's name? My Big Toe, he had a theory, Tom Campbell or something. Um, but it seems a lot of disciplines of science are kind of converging on this idea that the whole universe is consciousness or is conscious. Matter is conscious or energy is conscious. Or we might say it is consciousness. Or we might say it's none of these things. These are just words. But the point is, in um, inherently, life or the universe is this witnessing subjective thing um, and all the objectivity is within this subjective experience and so you couldn't have a universe without consciousness because it's happening in consciousness it is consciousness um, you could say god is dreaming you know um, so to speak but uh so when that within that kind of frame of reference i think you know take that or leave it you know you can just appreciate mother nature as like yeah beautiful image for us to rally around to unite cultures like we all want a beautiful we all want to be able to show our children a, a picture of the planet green and blue and say this is where we live and it is this garden you know here we are and it's yours and it's your children's and your grandchildren's um, we all want to be able to pass that on to our children um, uh, or if you don't want children fine but you know like to, you, you do want um, I imagine uh, to be able to pass that on to the next generation you know and um, and we're happy that we were passed on what what we have been given um, as good as, as it is, even though there are many problems. Um, so whether it's just rallying around that image of Mother Nature as just you know oh she's not sentient but it's a beautiful image for you know this planet that gives us so much and in a way you know has created us and sustains us, or you could take it to the next level um, as I do and say I don't know but uh, I'm pretty sure that. Um, yes, we're not the biggest fish in the pond here and uh, Mother Nature is actually a conscious being um, and it seems, you know, so is the sun, so are, everything has a consciousness to it. Um, and But then the real question is, does my good friend Ramses the Great over here, my little statue, is he conscious? But he's not, he's not animate. He's just made of like metal and stuff. But if all of reality is made out of consciousness, then he's a little... Humans have made him into this sculpted oneness, this entity of matter or energy or consciousness. So perhaps there is an inner witnessing here. Um, mm, what do you think? Let me know in the comments. Is my statue alive? Yes or no? Um, so, so Mother Nature. Um, now... Uh, yeah, so I think, sure, human beings, we can do terrible things and um, war, violence, crime, deception, um, uh, uh, just all, all kinds of 
quote-unquote sin, which originally means missing the mark. So, you know, shoot an arrow, oh, you missed. That's sin, right? Or to you don't get what you're aiming at. So, um, or you could say just imbalances. Um, sin's a very loaded word. Um, but uh, uh, human beings, yeah, we have a lot of vices. We're out of balance a lot. But then again, there are a lot of forces you know, so the rise of social media and the digital revolution, which is very addictive and pressing, you know, like getting a dopamine addiction. Um, that's a natural phenomenon coming from nature. Got to a point where these thinking monkeys were uh, able to um, innovate in ways which their brains, natural systems, allowed. And so we have this flow of um, uh, creation of technology, which is through nature, just like the bees are creating their beehives, right? Um, we're making iPhones and stuff. And and then that causes a feedback loop, which pushes us out of balance. So in a way, it's actually just a natural phenomenon whereby um, we, uh, to some extent, you know, we, we are, oh, we, you're not paying attention to your children or your friends or something, or you're being selfish or you're, you know, you're addicted to this or addicted to that, or you're out of balance in this way or that way. A lot of that does come from these feed, negative feedback loops of natural forces through us and human forces, which are ultimately natural forces, um, uh, even if it's free will, even if someone's you know spiritually enlightened and they're here, they're not just operating off of reactions, but responses, a conscious response in the present, a choice. Um, nonetheless, that's a natural force, I would say. I'll say the whole universe is alive. In a way, nature is the whole universe. Because it's just like, well, what's the difference between us and our animals or animals and the plants or or the animals and the plants and the earth at large, or the earth at large and the solar system. It's all interwoven. It's all, you know, part of these ecosystems. If you take away the sun, the earth dies. Um, but if there wasn't the center of the Milky Way, then what's the sun going to orbit around? It's going to change a bunch of things, and etc. So I would say, either way, <laughs> it's all nature, um, in a way. So either way, in a way, there's a way to say way a lot. Um, where? Okay. Uh, so we do have a lot of flaws and vices, but we have so many virtues too, so many good things about us, and you need to be fair and balanced. And I think you think about the way you talk to yourself sometimes, right? Like being critical, you know, um, oh, you did this, you messed up. Oh, damn, why'd you do that? Or oh, I'm doing, you know, it, it, whenever we're in our dark, dark points, you know, we're thinking that way. We treat ourselves in a way where you would never treat your friends like that. If your friend was like, oh, yeah, this is what I did, that, that, that. Like, you, monster, you, how could you do that? But, you know, you'd be like, whoa, easy. You know, that's not useful. Come on. There's a balance between telling the truth and, and um, you know, supporting and having faithfulness and going, acceptance, it's okay. We need to be practical. We need to get good results here. We need to, what good is it if you say, this is the truth, and then it destroys everything? In general, the truth creates, you know, um, and it's the source of sustenance and healthy order, I think, in the world. But um, there's a time and place for it, and if there are degrees, you know, you're telling a child, guess what, everything's going to be gone in like, you know, a million years. The sun's going to swallow everything. Tell that to a five-year-old, maybe that's not a good idea. Maybe that's, you know, why does they'll figure that out later. Why do you have to tell them now? It's not like you're lying, right? So like with yourself, I think it's important to um, treat ourselves in a way like you would if you're taking care of your best friend, you know, like how do you relate to your best friend? 
you'll tell them the truth, um, but you frame it in a way which is supportive. And so we need to do that with ourselves. Um, and I think with humanity in general, we need to say, hey, look, humanity, you're doing a lot of messed up stuff. But guess what? I really love you. You are amazing. I totally support you 100%. And I'm going to do everything I can to be here for you. Ooh. Now, is it just me or is that going to get better results in terms of like improving our situation? So how about, you know, we um, figuratively kneecap our high horse. Sorry, high horse. You're only a metaphor. Don't worry. You're not really being kneecapped. Um, and we turn it into glue at the factory and um, we use that glue to stick together um, the uh, proverbial, figurative, not real, um, uh, flotsam and jetsam, the, the trash and rubbish of our dysfunctional past, and we put it together and we get some figurative five-year-olds to cover it with paint and, you know, you know sequins and beautiful stuff. And then um, uh, in this hypothetical, very strange um, uh, uh, <laughs> intentionally absurd analogy, we would go sailing into the proverbial uh, sunset of our destiny, right? Um, what do you think? Um, can you come up with a more insane analogy or metaphor for something? Let me know in the comments. Um, please do. That would be amazing, actually. I do love absurd analogies. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, so we should celebrate humanity and ourselves. Team people, as Joe Rogan says, um, which I quite like, that, that idea, like, yeah. And, or, as I would say, we're, we're all one big team, you know? Even people who are doing terrible things, some, you know, Al-Shabaab in East Africa, like, going to the house of a good woman and saying, oh, you're working in a certain... Um, you know, uh, profession that we don't like, you're going to have to stop that or else bad things going to happen. Um, you know, which happens, this kind of stuff happens, you know. Those people, um, they're going through what they're going through. They're doing their best to do their best. Um, maybe they're not doing their best, but I guess they're doing their best to do their best. The, the benevolent, there's good and evil in all of us. I think the line between good and evil runs through every human heart, as they say. Um, so you can simultaneously say, look, these things are bad. You need to stop that. Maybe certain people need to be held accountable for their actions and say, look, practically, you're going to go to prison or you're going to, I don't know, um, there are going to be consequences. But on deeper down, emotionally, you can say, I accept you. You are my brother. You are my sister. We, we are we are together in this. Um, and uh, however you see the world, however you see yourself, that is my faithfulness, which I offer you. Um, and it doesn't matter whether you accept it or not. This is just how I feel because this is the, the realization I've come to about what wisdom is and what um, what just makes sense, right? So celebrating, encouraging, supporting humanity. And look, what other animal makes works of art and can create you know have podcasts or you know um you know do juvenile any other animal like paint rainbows in chalk on the pavement you know uh that's pretty cool you know um or 
what else? You know, food culture, the food we make is amazing. Um, comedy, you know, the laughter we can share. Um, uh, books and, and reading and dance and just r romance, you know. Um, and just the journeys of friendship through good and bad, thick and thin. Just the just imagine, well, you have your stories of friendship um, in your life. Um, and if you don't have a real story of friendship, don't worry, it's coming. Uh, someone just told me, Claire told me. Oh yeah, I need to play some music. Um, anyway, the guitar is talking to me, you see. Um, but like all these stories of friendship we have, that's just a drop in the ocean, you know? Uh, imagine all the narrative arcs of friendship, all the, the things, the ways people have changed and grown together in the whole world right now. And then through history, you know, that we, we know nothing of like, all these stories. And this is such a beautiful thing that humanity offers and is and can keep offering to the universe and experiencing. And that's something that, you know, gets overlooked when people say, oh, it'd be better if we weren't here. It's like, well, I don't know about that. There's not going to be anyone here to appreciate that we're not here. They're not going to, they're just going to, oh, it wasn't, wasn't thing, weren't things a bit different? Eh, I don't know. Let's get some food, you know. I think the other animals, you know, they're not going to be like, oh, yeah, the humans are gone, right? Um, deep down, they might remember in some sense, but they're not, you know. So that's the thing. Humans can build temples and we can record histories and remember um, something of what's happened and, there's so many beautiful thing, things we can do. So I think we really need to snap out of it and wake the hell up and go, look, we are good and bad and let's lean toward the good. And we need to really balance judgment with acceptance. And just like a good parent would, just like a good friend would. And there's no excuse, you know. And if, if you think this doesn't make sense, you might just be um, possessed by a, a negative emotional momentum entity of just this pain, this emotional pain that just wants to keep riding on this these thought, this train of thought which allows this certain vibration of what about um I don't know. I think that sounds a bit better. Um so yes. Um, so I think we can keep doing our best human beings. We're, uh, nature wants us to be here and we have our place in nature. You, you know, yeah, like we kick other animals off the land and stuff. We'll get to that after. But I think, um, uh, in general, you know, people say, oh no, this, the orangutans, they have a habitat there and then we're kicking them off for peanut butter palm oil to put in major brands of peanut butter. We're just clearing the rainforest. That's not good. No, I don't agree with that. Almost everyone who, who hears about it through, you know, various filters that try to prevent that kind of non-profitable or anti-profitable information getting out to whoever's profiting from it. Um, definitely not the planet and us in general profiting from it. Um, but whenever almost everyone who hears information will say, "Yeah, no, they they should stay there. They have that's their home. They belong there." Do not do we not also have a home? Do we not also belong here as part of nature? And um, is this not a lesson that nature can learn through us? Is this um, this acceptance of our 
um, separation from nature and oneness with nature, this paradox, embracing it and just making the most of it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, so, now, the ecological issues we face. Oh, boy. All right. Let's, let's go through the list. What's, what's going wrong? <clears throat> well, um, the oceans are being overfished. Um, huge areas of land. They have these huge fleets of um, sh uh, commercial fishing fleets, uh, fishing ships that go around just dredging the ground. They just bring a huge net across the ocean floor, pull up everything, destroy the, the ecosystems, including plants and stuff, just dredging the floor, leaving deserts there. And then they sell that food to people. Now, people are hungry in many parts of the world. A lot of that's from corruption, I would say. I'd say if governments were more ethical, we wouldn't have so many problems. We wouldn't have such a strain on nature. But a lot of people are trying to make money any way they can. So I can understand that. Um, and certain countries go, well, you know, we like the, these other countries aren't changing anything. So why should we? We're not going to be the first to do it. And so you have this kind of negative version of the prisoner to the prisoner dilemma where you know which is like two prison people get caught for a crime they're separate like if you dob the other in you know I'll, I'll let you i'll give you a good deal um and then they say that to the other and so you're thinking oh if the other guy dobs me in then if i don't make a deal i'm in trouble so i should dob him in first but then but if he thinks like i'm thinking then i'm screwed anyway so okay maybe if we both can have faith and enough trust then we'll both be fine they don't have enough proof so if they can both have faith, they, they're both fine. If either one of them can't have enough faith, they're both screwed, you know, um, to some extent. Um, anyway, <clears throat> so how do we organize when no one wants to be first to stop overfishing? Um, so consciousness, basically, I think is the answer to all these questions. Raising consciousness, that's why we're talking about this stuff. Hopefully people can think about this and, um, and let me know. Yeah, if you have ideas for me to think about, please do scratch my back. One hand washes the other. Uh, and, uh, yeah, so, um, so overfishing, um, uh, of course, the, um, the fertilizers that we use, uh, chemical fertilizers are running off, uh, into the oceans. That's, um, just bleaching the, the reefs, destroying the reefs. Um, we have heavy, enormous heavy metal pollution in the oceans, um, which is getting into the fish and then getting into our food and people having problem, brain problems from this. Um, so, uh, and I think other problems, but, uh, where are the heavy metals coming from? I'm not totally sure. Um, post just pollution in general. I'm not sure actually why there's heavy metals in the ocean. Um, uh, we have radio radiation in the ocean, of course, like Fukushima after that disaster, there's a lot of radiation in, you know, fish being caught off the coast of California, you know, so that's a problem. Um, plastic, enormous amounts of plastic are being put into the oceans all the time. Keep track of your bin for a week. See how much plastic you throw out, right? Not good. I mean, we really need to find a way of re having reusable systems, I think. But um, anyway, uh, so plastic being dumped into the oceans um, and, uh, the, you know, Boyan Slat, that um, uh, Dutch savant, or whatever, <laughs> this guy is really young. I got the ocean cleanup. You could check it out. It seems like he's um, got this got this kind of um, technology they're developing which seems like it's already 
it's already passed a lot of trials. I'm not sure what the current stage of it is, but it, it was looking very promising for being able to clean up the Great Pacific Garbage Patch and generally clean plastic out of the oceans and then recycling a bunch of that and turning it into like sunglasses and stuff like recycled plastic sunglasses, check it out um, or whatever, finding ways to deal with the problem. The problem then is, you know, if we just keep doing that, then potentially, oh, we great, we can dump more plastic in the ocean. It's getting taken out, you know. So, um, but, so that's another problem. Um, now uh, we have, um, what other problems? Uh, pollution. Um, so, you know, polluting rivers, just pouring stuff into it. And, you know, the regulators maybe sometimes are in bed with the, the big business people who are doing this, especially in countries where there's not as much of a culture of the rule of law and it's not all just things are a bit harder people are less prosperous so it's people aren't paying as much attention to these issues they've got a smaller circle of responsibility rightly so because they're taking care of the family that if things are too hairy too problematic then you know it's reasonable your kingdom or your queendom is a bit smaller and you're focusing on what's primary but um so pollution air pollution um uh, all kinds of, I mean, the bees, the uh, collapse of bee colonies, which is extremely dangerous. About 30% of our food is reliant on pollination by bees, like almonds and apples and all kinds of stuff. And bee colonies are collapsing all over the world. Largely, it seems to be connected to electromagnetic pollution. We are using all kinds of um, uh, EMFs, electromagnetic fields, all over the place. My podcast gear is emitting them. Um, that's why I turn off my internet router at night when I sleep because, and when I'm leaving, I have plants here. They've done experiments where they have a, you know, an internet router next to one plant and then another plant on the other side of the room. The one next to the router does like it basically dies or grows much less, uh, quickly. And so these are not, there's a lot of energy and it's not harmonious. Um, it actually causes DNA damage through They originally they're like, Oh, it doesn't do it like microwaves or, or like, um, you shouldn't microwave it open. That's not good for you. Right. Or you shouldn't get um, x-rays all the time. They used to x-ray people's feet at shoe shops. And they're like, oh, that's not good. It's causing DNA damage. Um, <clears throat> but then there's, I don't remember the name, but there's a different type of radiation. Um, and that's like, you know, um, from most electrical stuff, electrical wires, um, mobile phones, all this kind of stuff. They give off this other type of um, EMF. And they thought at first, okay, it doesn't cause DNA damage. Roll it out, boys. Great. Put it all over the planet. Then they realize later on, oh, actually, it causes oxidative stress, which in turn causes DNA damage. So indirectly, it does cause DNA damage. Too late, we've already developed this global infrastructure. Mm. So now there's ways to combat that. If you've got enough money, you can, you know, insulate your phone um, and insulate your walls and even stuff with like um, certain paints and, you know, substances that protect you from them. But so this is a problem. So for my plants, I turn off my router when I leave if I'm not going to be back for a while, you know. Anyway. Point being, um, this is going out there all over the earth, and with bees especially, it seems like that's causing a problem, messing with their navigation. That's one. I'm not sure how certain that is, but that's one potential culprit. Also seemingly very likely, seemingly, is um, neonics, I think it's called. Um, these are a type of uh, um, pesticide used um, in farming. I think it was banned in the European Union. I don't know if that ban is still in place, but they were still being used in America, I believe. Um but yeah, they've been caused to like, the bees look like they're drunk. They can't find their way back to the hive as easily and all kinds of problems. Um, so we have the, the problem with bees and insects in general, since we started using chemical pesticides, apparently farmers were like from, who were like really, you know, 
they were farming back 50 years ago, they're like, there used to be insects all over the place. Now there's like about 10% of the number of insects, at least in some places that's the case. So that's pretty crazy. And so that's part of the ecosystem and birds were eating them and then the birds are doing stuff and, you know, I don't know. Um, uh, so this is a problem. Um, we have uh, urban sprawl um, causing, uh, so we're saying that the, the bees and, uh, yeah, pollution, right, in general, which is also human health big problem a lot of deaths come from pollution um, and a lot of that's unnecessary if we can get people out of poverty then they're going to stop burning wood and plastic and breathing it in um, which is bad for the environment and for the humans which are part of the environment but you know um, so that's raising consciousness but also in increasing prosperity is a, a great actually you might think oh, no but that's part of the problem but it seems actually that's a very the UN actually did a I think millennium report or something on climate change and there i think the two things they, they came to is the most effective means dollar for dollar for actually practically forget the rhetoric how do we combat climate change was um and maybe it was ecological health in general which is obviously bigger than climate change um, like pollution's not climate change that's a very big problem um but uh they came said um childhood nutrition i think that was it and i can't remember the other thing um, maybe education, but childhood nutrition, having children be healthy, you know, um, and, you know, the idea, like if you can increase the welfare of people on a fundamental level, then they can start to go, all right, the human brain, as you probably have noticed, is always trying to f solve problems. Even if everything's perfect, is looking for problems, which causes us a lot of problems. The problem solver becomes the problem. Solve yourself, mind. Good luck. Um, uh, so... But, um, yeah, once these real problems of w clean water, you know, good food, et cetera, safety, security, um, uh, harmonious community, um, once they've been kind of more or less dealt with, then people can start to, and the evidence is this is what people do, they start to care about the environment, the wider environment, right, and ecology. So, and that's what we do, right? Um, we probably wouldn't be doing this if we were plunged into poverty um, or if hypothetically a financial crash plunge us back into there. Um, so, well, maybe, hopefully, in that situation, we would keep our awareness, at least. But anyway, um, so that's a side note, but that's one thing we can do, try to raise people out of poverty as well as increasing awareness. Um, so what else? Other problems. Uh, um, I said with, uh, yeah, okay. Um, farming, right? The Kiss the Ground documentary, very enlightening. By tilling the earth, cutting into the earth to create these uh, trenches that we can plant seeds in. You don't need to do that, actually. There's a new d device, no-till drill. John Deere kind of, I think, made it. Um, uh, it's not a sponsor. <laughs> um, uh, where it, it turns the earth, but just on a very low level, and it throws earth over. Instead of digging under, destroying all the, the, the microbial organisms down there and the e ecosystems and exposing it to the sun where it gets dried out and killed and to rain where it gets washed out by erosion um it actually allows the ground to stay firm so when it rains or when it's sunny it's protected um the, the little micro ecosystem in there um but it covers the seeds with a bit of dirt so that's one thing we can do and in general the whole this kiss the ground documentary and kind of it's all about regenerative agriculture so our agricultural system for industrial agriculture we have been producing more food than ever before but it's unsustainable and basically using these, t you know, tilling the ground deeply, that's one thing we don't need to do and it will help us not to. 
But the main thing, it seems, is increasing the ground cover of um, plants on farms so that um, when the plants, you know, their leaves drop into the earth, or even if you plant a cover crop where um, it, uh, you know, um, it's just covering it, but then in winter the cows come and they eat that stuff. I bet it's protecting it part of the year. Or you just till it into the earth, you know, like they used to, crop rotation, to grow clover or something. Then cut it, not to eat, but just to feed the field, not to feed the people. And then the crops will be stronger. Um, and when crop, when the soil's better, you need, you don't need um, anywhere near as much. And I think it seems like you don't even need at all um, pesticides because the plants make their own pesticides. They are very ingenious chemists. And that's how they evolved here. You know, they don't need our help. <laughs> they were in here before us. Um, and so, uh, yes, um, so plant, increasing plant cover and then, so basically we need to increase the microbial content of the soil and to, to increase the microbes, these little organi microorganisms in the soil, basically getting more plant material into the soil, getting c cows onto pasture land, places where it's, there's not enough rainfall, about a, th a third of the planet, I think, or is it two thirds? Um, maybe two thirds of the, of the la land of the planet. It's, there's not enough rainfall for um, farming, but uh, there is enough for um, grazing animals. And then we can eat the animals, right? They, they have, a, have a free life and then they die and they're killed in a humane way and we can eat that. We can regenerate the earth through their poop, right? Their poo, sorry, turning into an American. Um, uh, that uh, it, it, you know, rejuvenates the soil. Um, there's all these kind of microbial organisms in the, the poo, which goes into the soil. And, um, uh, yep, so they're transforming the, the greenery. And um, so by, incre by doing this, we can regenerate the the soils and we can green the soil this is probably the main thing we can do to fix the, the climate um, our pro ecological problems is just go to regenerative farming which is based upon traditional practices but now with modern science modern understanding we can do it much better but basically you're feeding the soils um, and it, ca it ca captures carbon so it's a carbon sink and so you know some people climate change you know, maybe we could talk about another time, but it seems like to some extent the science is politicized. And so there are some, unfortunately, uh, it's not as clear cut as it seems from what I can tell. Um, that's a controversial thing to say, but I'm devoted to the truth, nothing else, right? So um, I'm not afraid to, to say things that might seem a bit odd, but it does seem like there's some sort of um, um, warping of the debate about climate change. So... But nonetheless, you know, we'll set that aside for a moment. You know, the truth is probably somewhere in the middle. But, um, but there, there is climate change happening for sure. But the main question is how much of it, um, if any, is caused by humans? Because we've been through ice ages, the, you know, the climate's like five ice ages, right? The climate has always been changing. Like 10,000 years ago, or was it more, um, the, the earth was hotter than now and there was more carbon dioxide. By historical standards, the, the earth actually currently has a, a low the very almost the lowest on record of carbon dioxide but usually when we measure it we're measuring in the more historical period um over the last ten thousand years or something but if you go back a little bit more like levels were much higher in the past and earth was flourishing and co2 is plant food so it seems you know in greenhouses they fill the, the greenhouses with co2 to um grow them faster the plants and it works and it through history we see when co2 is higher there's more plant growth um, parts of the Sahara Desert currently are like the greenery at the edges of it is growing toward it. And the Sahara is not sand everywhere, by the way. It's um, 
just you know like a desert like not enough rainfall to support much life but um greenery is expanding apparently at the edges because it seems more co2 allows plants to grow more um potentially it allows them to retain water better i'm not sure um but uh but definitely carbon through photosynthesis they can um store carbon i think and then they turn that that's what how they build their bodies and that also goes into the ground and is exchanged with fungi fungi which use that these carbon or kind of sugars that the plants give them and then they can they by growing the, the fungi they mine basically dissolve rocks and they release minerals which they can give up to the plants which allows the plants to be healthy so more carbon is just feeding the cycle of plant growth um carbon isn't actually a, a pollutant you know if you have factories putting out pollution they might be putting out carbon dioxide and a bunch of other stuff but you if you're just putting out carbon dioxide in itself that's not pollution right um it's a plant food it's totally natural it's always been here our bodies are made of carbon you know um the question is um is this excessive amount of carbon dioxide increasing the temperature of the planet um and you know that's something we won't get into right now but it, it the, the, the cool thing because it's just so complicated but the cool thing is it doesn't even matter like okay let's stop you know arguing you know the people in this camp people in that camp practically what can we do for mother nature well even if you think that you know co2 isn't causing climate change um you want a greener earth don't you and you want more productive farms and more sustainable farms currently we have 60 harvests left 60 years if it's one harvest a year often it's more so maximum 60 years of harvest under this current system of industrial agriculture so that's not good we need to change this immediately basically right and this is the save soil you know movement talking about that um and you know like uh the uh, this guy Sadhguru has launched um and uh you know many other movements people trying to you know regenerative farming um uh, trying to uh, change the way we farm and it can cool the planet if you you know by the, the mainstream you know kind of theory this will cool the planet right so we should do it but it's also good anyway it's we need it for food <laughs> for sustainability and even so even if the people who don't agree that the carbon dioxide is doing what you know the mainstream science says um doesn't matter don't get distracted like we can agree on this we just need to increase the the organic content of the soil by about 0.4 percent a year i think which is very doable um earth's going to look more beautiful there's going to be more trees and plants around and by doing this within 20 years we can um the projections are 20 or 30 years we will have uh, cooled the the planet and um so i think look let's do that and you know once once we're making progress with that let's continue the conversation and f f tinker around the edges of like, what exactly is the ideal approach but instead of like a carbon tax which is going to make people poor and then care less about the environment etc you know there's a blunt statement but you know there might be ways to do that but let's say low-hanging fruit let's do something that everyone can agree on this um regenerative agriculture is a great way to do it um and um and there are many things we can do there i highly recommend you kiss the ground check out that documentary um powerful stuff and just makes you feel amazing it's like, oh we have hope real hope so um now what else other issues uh so if we can deal with the farming that's great um um and yeah, people talk about cows that that's causing greenhouse gases, but they do release some gases. But they're um, overall cows on the ground actually uh, is a negative carbon footprint. They they build up the soils so much 
that and the soils are, are taking in far more greenhouse gases than the cows are putting out. So vegans be vegans, meat eaters be meat eaters. There's just another thing would be let's just get rid of factory farming, which is also very bad for the environment in general, but also um, greenhouse gas emissions, much worse, right, with factory farming. Get them onto grass, pasture, and um, where they're eating healthier stuff. Um, that's going to be healthier for the people eating them. Healthy people make healthier choices. They think more clearly, right? Um, and we can just encourage people, um, you know, we can grow more plants and people can eat more plants. In general, it's a good idea, eating more plants, I think. But then also, you know, eating good meat, like that also seems healthy as far as I understand it. And I think it's fair on the animals. If we all stopped eating meat, all the animals are going to go away. Like we can't fund, who's going to pay for all these animals? Are you, you know? If we tax everyone to do it and the government's paying for them, what are they, they're just hanging out and, you know, look, you know, possible trouble ahead with the financial world. So in general, I think, I think no, the sustainable way is we let people do their, follow their traditional cultures of eating animals, but we, we encourage and um, expect a, a humane system of letting them live in a way where they can be quite in touch with nature. They're maybe fenced in, but they get to move around. They're on this paddock, and then the next day they're on that paddock, next paddock, moving around. The Earth's, you know, it's more traditional, in line with their evolutionary history. They get to have a noble existence. They get to have their place in this picture. Um, so it seems like, at the very least, that's a positive step forward. If we want to have more nuanced conversations about the future of um, what we eat, etc., let's do that after we move forward to sustainable agriculture to improve the mother nature, the, uh, the sustainability of our environment. If we lose our prosperity, um, crazy people are going to take power and reptilian instincts are going to kick in and the more conscious elements of the population are going to be marginalized and it's not going to help us. So we, you know, I think let's be practical, right? And unite um, to for the goal of that beautiful orb of green and blue. Love. Okay. Um, what else? Uh, any other ecological issues to mention? Um, uh, well, probably, but, um, oh yeah, um, I mean, the sand is being, sand to make glass, not all s sand can make glass, so it's um, from riverbeds and lakes and oceans, that's the sand that you can use to make glass, and so a lot of beaches around the world are being, like, torn up by, like, organized crime and stuff, and sold to make glass, so that's one thing where we can try to get under control, that's also not good. Um, and plastics, oh yeah, solutions, right? So plastics, I mean, um, hemp, you know, from the cannabis plant, hemp can make plastic and it's, it grows very easily. Hemp, it's very healthy for the earth um, growing them. So that's one thing. I think we can make clothing, um, we can make cloth, we can make um, fuel, we can make seeds for food and we can make flour, which has an incredible protein. It's, I think, all the amino acids in there. It's like incredible, very healthy. Um uh, and more bioavailable because it doesn't have a thing called phytic acid or has very little. So of all the seeds, it's probably the most healthy. Phytic acid takes away some of the, the whatever is in there. It takes off some of it. It's like a tax. You don't get digest it all. So hemp is very healthy for that. Um, we can make rope, um, canvas, cannabis, canvas. They have an, a shared etymology. So we can make all kinds of things. Um, sails used to be made out of it. Um, and... Uh, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. Hempcrete for b construction materials, which is very good insulating, has a lot of positive qualities, very good construction material, and it's insanely ecologically friendly. Um, but but say, uh, but using um, hemp for plastic, I think is a big thing we can do, because then biodegradable, just put it in the earth if you don't want it. Um, so, um, however, a lot of money comes from oil, which is turned into pharmaceuticals, and also um, 
into plastics. So a lot of big dogs are going to lose a bunch of money in this shift, but it's necessary and this is good for them too. We're all brothers and sisters, so we're all one big team, ladies and gentlemen. So um, we can build our awareness and demand this needs to change. Um, sorry, oligarchs, nothing personal. It must be really fun to be an oligarch and stuff. But look, this is what's happening. And if we can have the energy of togetherness, then it's much more likely that we'll pull this off without getting into some silly conflict that's unnecessary and judging people when, like, hey, you know, probably a lot of oligarchs help the world go around, but it's just if they could tweak their system so it's more aligned with harmony, then, hey, you know, sounds good. You, you keep your thrones. I'm happy if you're if you're being a... A good force. So, um, let's see. Okay, uh, what are the, some of these other issues? Overfishing, yeah, of course, restrict. I think if we can um, get more government accountability, raise consciousness, shrink the size of government, you know, but that's another issue, but just get more government accountability, mainly through public awareness, right? Um, and educate self-education and co-education. Then um, we can start to demand um, that, you know, look, the, the fishing can't go on like this. Um, you take you take less fish and then you let it build up and then you can take more fish overall, but you need to you know you need to be practical and think long term, um, not what's you know oh the company's going to make as much money as it can and then in five years I'm gone as CEO, doesn't matter what happens no, you know we need to move on from that kind of short sightedness. Um, uh, so let's see uh, what else. Um, yeah, and you know, chemical fertilizer, et cetera, we don't need, et cetera. So transforming agriculture. Um, transportation's another thing. We could even keep the transportation system the way it is. If we transform agriculture, it seems like we, we could even have that. We could that we can deal with that down the road, you know. So all right, that's probably enough about that. So moving on. The balance of industry and wilderness or um so yeah, so I'd say, you know, what amount of the earth of Mother Nature do we have the right to take for ourselves? Some people say we should rewild these many places. Um, I would say places like Australia, where I'm from, um, uh, a lot of the land is not very fertile, especially in the West, where I'm from. So I think a lot of that, it could be great to try to maybe government, you know, create a fund or we do crowdfunding or whatever um, to buy huge areas of land that's not very you know, fertile and try to develop it up, put some cows on there, try to build up the soil, grow plants and, you know, see what we can do to, because also the more greenery there is, the more rainfall there is. So you have this virtu virtuous cycle where you, more greenery means more rainfall, uh, more humidity because the water comes up through the plants um, instead of being washed off. So it rains and then it comes up through the plants, creates humidity, more rain, more plants. Um, and the opposite is also true. If you could get rid of the greenery, you get less rainfall, you get desert desertification. So, um, I think that would be great. Like a lot of areas we could try to, you know, green them and rewild them. That could be amazing. Um, uh, in general, zoos, mm, a lot of those animals are a bit too conscious to be in cages, I would say. We can see them on the internet these days. So that would be a thing where possibly zoos need to transform into something other than what they are now. SeaWorld, I don't think that should exist. These these beings are too intelligent. It's It's slavery, basically, I think. And, you know, future generations will see it as such, I believe. So let's get ahead of the curve and start um, respecting our earthling um, brethren. And um, so zoos, maybe with less conscious animals or, um, you know, or with more safari style thing where it's much bigger. Um, but yeah, and but rewilding in general, okay, cool, within in certain situations. But I think also um, 
the flourishing of civilization is a beautiful natural thing it's the super beehive you know that mother nature's creating it is a natural expression a crystallization it's the flower on the plant it's a higher level of evolutionary structure um, which is flowing through nature and so i don't think we want to get rid of industrial civilization we just want to modify it a little bit and make it more harmonious and nature worshiping so um and yeah ground it in gratitude so um uh yes um so i think cities um urban sprawl yeah cutting down e ecosystems and you know all the animal loss of wildlife that's not good we should ideally cities should be more contained i think and but you know there's a balance to be found that's who knows what the exact right thing there is but i would say that's true we should you know not see fields as oh that could be houses it could be fields you know <laughs> like let's think about find the right balance and again i think quality over quantity the quality of humans experience and civilization is more important than the quantity so we don't need 20 billion people that's not necessarily better not necessarily wrong either i'm not saying we need to depopulate or something but i think um, we just need to be smart and conscious and find that balance the sweet spot um, the goldilocks zone but um but I think if we can transform our agriculture into this more plant-heavy, um, you know, like you have forests, like woodland agriculture, where you have all these different kinds of plants, you're growing different things, and it's basically a forest, but you're extracting food pr from it. There's things like this which are being tried to, a lot of good stuff on the horizon. So I think if we can do that itself and ring our cities and even fill our cities with community gardens, you have a house, plant a tree, just get, develop, you know, shift the culture toward remembering Mother Nature and look, Shiny buildings are cool, you know, I can dig it. Like some, I see some buildings and some I'm like, oh, that's but ugly, you know. But but to be fair, some I go, I like that. That's nice. I like that one. You know, it's graceful. It's got good geometry or whatever. Um, so that's all fine. But I mean, the, the, the ideal, the most beautiful vision, if it's for you as a concrete jungle, then I think you need to get out more and get under your own rock, uh, out from under your own rock, you know. Um, and uh, yeah, like... Uh, you know, you have these images of skyscrapers and stuff surrounded by trees and like, you know, vegetation on rooftop terraces and stuff like this and things that you see in Singapore. There's some kind of crazy architecture involving greenery hybrid with um, dense urban stuff. I think a lot of that can be really cool. And anyway, we humans have a place. We don't want to turn off industrial agriculture because, look, it's just going to reset us to a more primitive state of consciousness um, um, more people are going to struggle to have prosperity, probably, I would think. Um, and so that's going to frustrate our efforts um, to try to get a, raise awareness about e ecology in general and have this beautiful perspective of we're servants of Mother Nature and she wants us to be running this operation, which leads um, uh, to, well, before we lead to that point, um, I would say you know, uh, life eats life, animals eat other animals, other animals eat plants, plant intelligence, look at Michael Pollan's work, the journalist Michael Pollan, about the secret life of plants, is that his thing? Um, maybe someone else actually, but um, but he, he does have work on plant intelligence, and it, they are far more intelligent than we thought, so vegetarians eating plants, you know, they are beings also, we are, we are killing and eating, um, and it seems they're more advanced, say, than certain, like mollusks, certain sea creatures, you know, um, so plants do have, you know, certain evidence for int intelligence for sure. Um, and so, okay. And also if you're, 
another thing to mention. Um, if you think no, you know we shouldn't be eating animals. Okay, well, you if you eat a uh, you're eating beef. Okay, that there was one life that cow was killed, right? And it feeds a bunch of people many times. To have um, think the grains that we're growing and plants, um, enormous amounts of smaller creatures are killed in the process. It's inevitable. Monoculture kills so many insects, um, ground nesting mammals, and uh, now ground nesting birds and small mammals. This kind of stuff just gets chopped up basically by the combine harvesters and also apart from that you're kicking them off the land even if they're not there well that's habitat they could be having you need to take it away from them so there are a lot of lives are lost in eating grains i'm not saying and um plants vegetables fruit i'm not saying that's wrong but i'm just saying life eats life and i think ultimately again when we zoom out from my perspective everything is life so it's just we are losing bodies we're not losing life technically life is immortal it's the universe isn't going anywhere and so Life is life, you know. We we will be we will return to the soil, um, and you know it's a beautiful thing. And um, you know there's a certain queasiness sometimes about eating animals, but I think when you can realize have a kind of more ground a vision grounded in that you you have a benevolent benevolent purpose on Earth, and you are Mother Nature's son or daughter, and you are doing a good thing, then you have the right to eat other you know pr- creations of nature, and nature is doing it through you. It's not just you being a bad you know being a jerk. Mother Nature is eating that cow, and she created that cow. You know, it's going back to where it came from. You know, and um, this is the system that's been going for millions of years. It's a beautiful system. It creates such wonderful things as music, which we're going to get to. Um, okay, um, experimenting on animals. Yeah, p- probably we should be. You know, thinking about what to do with that and making sure it's ethical. Um, uh, culling animals in general. I think you know. Oh, we have to kill a million squirrels because it's a threat to three people might have a you know allergic response or something. Sometimes it's like whoa, well, people, we need to really give more respect to these other Earthlings. You know, there's a balance. Who knows what, exactly what it is, but that's just something to mention. Um, now, <laughs> okay, final point here: comets, catastrophe, rebirth, space colonization. Um, long live Mother Earth. Interesting point there, Jamie, of the past. Okay. So um, comets actually hit the Earth a lot more than we realize. Asteroids, comets, meteors. Um, and it, there's very good reason, uh, reason to think that it even reset the clock on an advanced civilization 12,800 years ago or so. Look at Graham Hancock's work on this um, or um, uh, John Anthony West and Robert Schock's work on redating the Great Sphinx. Much older than we thought. Looks like it's 12,000 years old at least. Gobekli Tepe in Turkey has been discovered since then, which is up oh, 12,000 12, odd years old, much older, like 7,000 years older than we thought. Point being, um, looks like civilization was already developed before ancient Egypt and they were refugees from another advanced civilization. Lots of evidence for that. You could look at Graham Hancock's work, um, Magicians of the Gods or Fingerprints of the Gods or just podcasts about this stuff. Um, more recently, his book, America Before. Randall Carlson, great guy, talks about um, the venerable Randall Carson talks about uh, this kind of stuff um, and the catas- catastrophic history of Earth of so many things have been obliterated over and over again, largely by extraterrestrial material, like um, comets and stuff. So now human beings, we can be nature's defense system here. We can advance ourselves to the point where we can deflect and even mine um, asteroids and stuff and use that to protect Earth so Mother Nature can keep flowering at this advanced stage of her music with an orchestra instead of just with a, a drum and singing, more advanced level of um, expression. 
And um, we can even, uh, perhaps if we have a benevolent, beautiful nature-aligned culture, why not spread that to other places, colonize space, you know? Um, I think we, some people don't want to do that because they think we'd just be filling it with trash. And at a certain at the moment, that could be correct. But if we can um, become beautiful avatars, embodiments of Mother Nature, then that could be good, no? And so, um, yes. So, uh, up against the clock. So, and up against the now, up for the now. So, I'm going to play a little tune and end it with that. So, this this uh, broadcast was brought to you by Mother Nature, for Mother Nature, in Mother Nature, um, with Mother Nature. So, what could we play here? or not and it's all for free and it's all of we and it's all bound in blues and golds and greens and life on sweet mother earth can be delight Ooh, and you that with her our mother father son smiles on let's have some fun thank you Claire righto peace and love my uh, fellow siblings of our beautiful uh, beautiful mother floating in space. All right, see you next time.